great day. God's blessed in your life. Thank you for being out. I appreciate all the folks who've taken me out to meals this week. Y'all are fattening me up down here in the big Bristol area, and I appreciate that. Mark took us out today, and the preacher yesterday, and Alan, I believe, on Sunday, and some others. Just having a great time. Y'all have been so sweet to me. You're easy to be around, and I thank you for that. And uh, looking forward. Is, is there a meal before the service here tomorrow night? Okay. I just, he was saying there is a, what, six o'clock? There is a meal here tomorrow night at six o'clock. Bojangles. Be provided. Okay. Hey, that's good. Anytime it's food, I'm all in. Okay. Well, why don't you take your Bibles, if you will, please, tonight. The Old Testament, 2 Kings, 2 Kings chapter 7. 2 Kings chapter 7. Don't forget now, tomorrow night is family night. We're going to close out with a message entitled, What's Happened to the Family? It'll be a message geared toward family, and marriage relationships, parent-child relationships. I hope you can do all you can to get your young folks here tomorrow night, teenagers and any college-age students and middle school students. I want to speak to the young people in particular a little bit tomorrow night and sit together in family units on this final night as we address some of those issues. Now, by the way, if you've experienced the pain of divorce, as, as happens in all uh, congregations. I want you to know there will be a word of encouragement for you tomorrow night. So uh, we will uh, share good news about family and marriage, but for those who have experienced that pain of divorce, there will be a word of encouragement to lift you up tomorrow night. So whether you're uh, in a marriage relationship, a broken relationship, whatever, you come on out. You'll be part of the service tomorrow night. And let's see what has, God has to do and say to us in our closing service. Second Kings chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time will a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel, and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gate of Samaria. Then a Lord on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, If the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be? He said, You will see it with your eyes, but you will not eat thereof. Now there were four men with leprosy at the entering end of the gate, and they said to one another, Why sit we here until we die? If we say we enter the city, there's a famine in the city, and we will die there. If we sit still here, we will die also. Now therefore come, let us fall to the host of the Syrians, and if they save us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we but die. So they rose in the twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they were come to the uttermost part of the camp of Syria, behold, there was no man there. For the Lord had made the host of the Syrians to hear a noise of chariots, a noise of horses, even the noise of a great host. So they said to one another, The king of the Hittites and the king of the, Egypt, uh, the Egyptians has come upon us. Wherefore they arose and fled in the twilight, left their tents, their horses, their asses, even the camp as it was, and fled for their life. Now when these lepers came to the uttermost part of the camp, they went into one tent, did eat and drink, carried away silver, gold, and raiment, went and hid it, came again, entered into another tent, carried away also, went and hid it. Then they said to one another, We do not well. This is a day of good news, and we're holding our peace. In other words, uh, we know something too good to keep to ourselves. I want you to know what I'm going to be challenging you about tonight before we ever get going. I'm going to be challenging the Christians of Kingsway Baptist Church. And here's the challenge. For you to make an open commitment tonight to share Jesus Christ with at least one person 
outside of the four walls of this church. Now that's all I'll have to say, and some will say, I don't want to do it, I, I don't have to do that, I, I don't like doing that, I'm not going to do that. You're right, you don't have to do it. But before you make such a statement, let me ask you a few leading questions. Is Jesus really the greatest thing that ever happened in your life? Did He really die on the cross for you? Was He really resurrected from the grave so that someday you will be resurrected as well? And is He really coming again for you someday? Now, if the answer to those questions are no, then, hey, let's don't tell anybody because it's not worth telling. But if the answer to those questions I just asked you in your life are yes, then I challenge you to make a commitment tonight to share Christ with at least one person outside the four walls of the church. Stand with me, please. We'll pray together. Father, I thank You for these people. They're good people. This is a good church. God set it on fire this week. May great things happen because we've worshipped together here. Thank you for how Rick has blessed and led in our music. Now it's time for the preaching of the Word. Oh God, speak through me tonight and may your Word rattle our cage. God, I don't know what you want to do and I don't know whose heart you want to touch. But whatever it is, move us out of the way and get it done. And now we thank you in advance for the people who will come down the aisle later on during the invitation time making decisions for you. We believe that and claim that in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I need your help tonight with a uh, little bit... Uh-oh, I ran out a bunch of them right there. I need your help tonight as we do a little uh, survey as we begin. If you're born between the years 1927 and 1945, 1927 and 1945, would you do me a favor and stand and remain standing? 1927 to 1945. All right. Those who know, oh, some of you are hard, don't want to admit that. Okay, I appreciate it. Now, statistics say, oh, remain standing. Stand up, stand up. I want you to stand up. All right, here's what statistics say about you. Oh, goodness, two just now. Well, and I never met such a line bunch in all my life. Now, if you're born between 27 and 45, admit it and stand up. All right. Now, here's what statistics say about this group. 65% in this age bracket are saved. Thank you, and you may be seated. Ah, you can be seated. All right, if you're born between 1946 and 1964, you're part of the boomer generation like I am, would you stand 46 to 64? All right. Got a heavy number of that group tonight. Statistics say that 35% in this age bracket are saved. 65 in that older bracket, now 35% in this age bracket. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're part of Generation X, born between 1965 and 1976, would you stand? Anybody 65 to 76? All right. Here's what statistics say about this age bracket. 16% are saved in this age bracket. 65, 35. 16. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're born between 1977 and 1994, would you stand? Here's what statistics say about this age bracket. 4% are saved in this age bracket. Thank you. You may be seated. Now think about what we just said. 65, 35, 16, and 4. You can't get a whole lot lower than that, other than zero itself. And what those statistics say are, 
there's a lot of work to be done. And if that statistic is true in Bristol, Virginia, there's a lot of work to be done in Kingsway Baptist Church. A lot of empty pews tonight. Empty pews speak volumes. They say there's work to be done. Let's get at it here tonight. Have you ever faced a situation that you saw no way out of? And regardless of how you looked at it, the only thing you could see coming from it was bad results. And you just want to say, God, if you don't do something to help me here, man, I've had it. I'm in a fix. Well, oftentimes, those situations in my life, I've discovered that God is the advanced man in our battles. He's clearing the way, opening the path, long before you and I begin to show concern over the matter. My New Testament seminary professor was Dr. DeLos Miles. And Dr. Miles said, fellas, there's never been a time that I made a witnessing visit that I didn't feel a little bit uncomfortable before I went into the home. He followed that up by saying, but in nearly every home I went into, I sensed that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit had preceded me into that household. Now we're going to see God doing a very similar thing in the passage we look at here tonight. We are told in verse 24 of chapter 6, the king of Syria has attacked the town of Samaria. A great famine sweeps across the entire region. How bad is the famine? Well, the Bible says the famine is so bad, some of the people are cutting off the heads of donkeys and selling them for food. That's a pretty bad famine, isn't it? The Bible says the famine is so bad, some of the people were selling the refuse of pigeons and doves. That would be bird droppings. That's a pretty bad famine, isn't it? The Bible says the famine was so bad, some of the mothers were cooking their small children and eating them. So suffice it to say, folks, the famine was bad. People were willing to go to any length, pay any price to find anything that even looked edible. Well, this was more than the old king could stand, and he began to blame Elisha for the problem. And then in the last verse of chapter 6, he changes his tune, and there he says, this disaster is from the Lord. Why should we wait on His help any longer? In other words, God, you know people are starving to death down here. Why don't you intervene? Why don't you act? Come on, God, why don't you do something? Ever been a time in your life God didn't move fast enough for you? Didn't answer your prayer the way you wanted your prayer answered? When you wanted it answered? How you wanted it answered? Well, you see, not only does God know what is best for us, He wants what is best for us. And even in those times when the answer to our prayer is yes, no, wait, or deafening silence from heaven, even in those times, God always knows what is best for us. Well, the old king in this story is at the breaking point. And now it's here in the beginning of chapter 7 that Elisha predicts immediate relief from the famine. He predicts that once again food is going to be purchased for a reasonable price, and there's going to be plenty of it. Here's what he had to say in verse 1. Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Tomorrow about this time will a quarter bushel of flour be sold for about $1.76 in our money today and a half a bushel of barley for the same price in the gates of Samaria. Now folks, that's quite a prediction. Because when you say there's going to be a lot of food at low cost in the midst of a land where people are starving to death, you better be right about that or heads are going to roll. Now in the next few verses, the scene is getting ready to change a little bit. We're sitting outside the gates of Samaria are four men who have leprosy. We don't know much about these four old boys, but we know this much. The famine is now affecting them as well. And they put their heads together and they say, Hey, how can we get out of this mess? One of them said, Well, let's go into the city. And the other said, No, man, we can't go in the city. There's no food there. We'll starve to death. Option number one's no good. Option number two, one of them said, Well, let's stay right here where we are. No, we can't do that. We don't have any food. We're going to die if we sit here. Option number two's no good. Pretty smart fellas, aren't they? Option number three. One of them said, well, let's do this. Let's go surrender ourselves to the Syrian army camped outside the city, 
And if they spare us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we would die. And hey, we're going to die anyway. What difference does it make? At least there's a chance they might let us live. And so they begin with the question, why sit we here until we die? Kingsway Baptist Church, I'm posing that question to you tonight. Why sit we here until we die? Let's get busy. Let's do what God has called us to do. Your job is not to hold the fort. Your job is to be bold and battering down the gates and strongholds of hell. You're not to be some weak, timid body of believers that just hangs on till Jesus comes back. You're not to be on the defensive. You're to be on the offensive. Not offensive in sharing your faith, but be on the offensive. Be on the attack. You have the Word of God. You have Jesus dwelling inside your heart. You don't have to back up to anybody in the Bristol area. Why sit we here until we die? Now here's what I want you to get. Many of the blessings of life individually and as a church are only going to be discovered if we're willing to risk ourselves as these four lepers did. You see, if the thought of failure keeps you from stepping out in faith, you'll never accomplish anything for the Lord individually or collectively as a church. We can look at the negative side of every issue and say, now, if we do this, what will this family think? And if we do this, what will these folks in the church think? Now, I don't think God honors a foolish faith, but I do think God honors a risk-taking faith. One that says, hey, we don't have to see all the answers up front. Every once in a while, we do things in our churches, and it takes money to get it done. We're going to buy something, build something, support something. And somebody will throw their hand up and say, hey, can we afford that? That's not a bad question, but I submit to you it's never the best question. The question should always be is what we're about to do, is it God's will for the life of our church? And if it's God's will for the life of your church, I have news for you, you can afford it. As a matter of fact, if it's God's will for the life of your church, you can't afford not to do it. So my question tonight would be, what's God calling Kingsway Baptist Church to do? Where is He leading you one, two, three, five years down the road? And what are you willing to do to be a part of that? God may lead you to step out in areas and avenues you've never stepped out in before. And maybe try some things you've never tried before. Don't be afraid of change. Don't be afraid of growth. You know, a lot of times churches today get stagnant and stuck and they plateau. And by the way, in Virginia Baptist life alone, Three out of every four churches, 75% of our Baptist churches in the state of Virginia are plateaued. And a lot of times that happens because we just sort of get stuck in a rut. Sometimes it's because we're unwilling to change. You say, are you saying uh, do all things uh, new and throw out old traditions? No, I'm not saying that at all. There are things we've been doing for 50 years as Baptists we need to keep right on doing. But all I'm saying is this. The message never changes the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But the method of getting it out can change over the years. And you heard this latest statistic, only 4% of that age group, and that wasn't even teenagers. That was like 18 to 35. Lord only knows what the teenage statistic was. And if we don't do something, if we don't try to meet that need, try some things different, maybe make some changes, we're going to miss out on a whole generation of people who need the same Lord Jesus that we need. And so don't be afraid of change. Don't be afraid of growth. Step out in faith and be who God has called you to be. Think of innovative ways that God can use you and how you can work collectively together as a church to make a difference. And set a goal for the number of people you want to win to Jesus, the number of people you want to see baptized. My theory is this. If it's legal, if it's moral, and it's ethical, and it wins people to Jesus, give it a whirl. And you might just find that God uses it and honors it. Well, so it was. These four lepers got up to do something. They went to surrender themselves to the Syrian army. When they got there, they got a big surprise. Wasn't anybody there. What happened? Well, the Lord caused these people to think they were being attacked by other armies. And because of it, they hightailed it for the country. 
Now really nobody was after them. But the Lord made them think other armies were after them. And so they left behind food, money, clothing, wealth, and jewelry. All this stuff these people back home needed. Remember, everybody's starving to death. Now, remember, here's these four old boys, these four old lepers. And they walk into the camp and they make the discovery of all this stuff. I mean, they hit the Virginia lottery big time. You see, God was well aware of their situation in advance. And God is well aware of your situation in advance. Some of the things you're worried about tonight, some of the things you're concerned about tonight, God is already out there ahead of you working those things out in advance. Verse 8 says this, And when the lepers came to the camp, they went in one tent and did eat their fill and drink, carried away silver, gold, and raiment, went and hid it, came again and did the same thing in another tent. You see, Christians, the point is this, the blessings of life are out there to be discovered, but you don't discover them by sitting here till you die. You discover them by stepping out in situations that leave you uncertain and uneasy and make you wonder how it's all going to work out. I like what Charles Stanley says. Charles Stanley says, the church will never be the church that God wants it to be. The church will never accomplish the things that God wants to accomplish through it until a church is willing to risk itself and step out in faith and be the people of God He's called them to be. Many of the things we worry about, many of the things we lose sleep over could be avoided if we could just remember the times in the past God has been with us, has guided us, and seen us through. Now, was it worth it for these four guys to go surrender themselves to the Syrian army? You bet it was. You see, I believe this passage also applies to lost people. If you're here tonight and you've never accepted Christ, hey, even you're wise enough to say, why sit we here until we die? And even you might make the great discovery that what you've been looking for all your life was found here after all, a relationship with Jesus Christ. And some of you Christians who used to find your joy, used to find your contentment, used to find your uh, enjoyment of life right here in Kingsway Baptist Church, and now you find it in civic clubs and organizations and Little League Ball and the fire department, you might just rediscover the joy of your life was right here after all as well. Many times in my life, I faced what I thought was going to be an uncomfortable situation only to discover that God was already out there ahead of me working in advance. When I first moved to Rustburg, Virginia in 1986, about eight miles south of Lynchburg to be the pastor, one of the first people I led to Christ was a man by the name of Lester Wooldridge who had a heating and air conditioning business there in Lynchburg. Lester, in turn, led many of his workers to Jesus. He came to me one day and he said, Roger, there's somebody I want you to go with me to visit, to witness to. The guy we were going to witness to was named Carlton. Carlton was a big fella, about 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, 260 pounds. He's an imposing figure, somebody that could intimidate you if you let him intimidate you. So we prayed there at the church, God give us courage. God help us uh, not to be afraid to share our faith with Carlton. Drove out to his house, tapped on the door. Carlton answered the door, and I said, Carlton, we've come to talk to you tonight about your relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all I said, and tears welled up in his eyes. We went in, I sat down on the couch, I started talking. I bet I hadn't talked 45 seconds, and he stopped me, and he said, Roger, I'd like to ask Jesus to come into my heart tonight. Well, he caught me off guard. I started to say, say what? You know how we Baptists are. we got about a six-step plan. You just sit there and listen. I'll tell you when it's time to get saved. Not time yet. I'll let you know when it's time for you to say yes. I hadn't even got my spiel out. You just listened to it. No, I'm kidding. Man, when he said that, we rejoiced. We high-fived. We led Carlton to Jesus there that night. Lester and I got in the car, and we pumped our fist. Boy, we were so happy that Carlton had been saved. But as we drove away that night, we were both smart enough to know something. God was in that home a long time before we got there. And God was in that home a long time after we left. 
We didn't save anybody. All we did was tell a story we know to be true, that Jesus had saved us and wanted to save Carlton if Carlton wanted to be saved. And folks, what I'm saying to you tonight, if it's within your heart to tell others about Jesus, God will help you to do it. You don't have to be capable. Just be available. God will give you the words. People say, oh, I'll mess it up. I know I won't do it right. I'll get the verses out of order. I'll do something wrong. I know I couldn't close the deal. Now you listen to me. I speak on the average of five to six times a week. I stand up for crowds like you and I stumble and I bumble over phrases. I forget what I want to say. My mind goes blank. I lose my place. I say things backward and out of order. You know what amazes me? In spite of my personal stupidity, God saves people anyway. You see, it's all God. It's not you. It's not me. He just wants to use us to be a vessel through which it gets done. I take a mission trip most every year. We just got back from Honduras a few weeks ago. and Several years back, we went down to Cuba. On this particular trip to Cuba, my translator didn't show up one night. Rick and I were talking about this before the service. I don't speak any Spanish, so I always have to get a translator with me. And so the young lady I found to translate for me this particular night was a young 26-year-old girl by the name of Gladys. Gladys was a university professor in a school there in Yagua High in Cuba. We had been there the year previously and Gladys had given her heart to Jesus and now we're coming back the following year and Gladys agreed to translate. Gladys made $25 a year, $2 a month as a professor in the college there. And so as we walked over to the church that night, I said, now Gladys, listen, I don't speak any Spanish, you know that. I said, you speak pretty good English. I said, so let's, uh, we'll work together, we'll see how it goes and we'll just trust it to God and somehow we'll hope something good will come out of this said, I know this is putting you on the spot. You've never done this before, but let's just ask God to be with us and hopefully it'll work. So I stood up and I began to speak and it wasn't going well at all. As I said, she'd never translated before. And I'm from the same part of the state you are, the southwestern part of Virginia. And as you know, we've got a southwestern Virginia drawl. Don't we though? All of us do. And uh, so that's probably hard for her to pick up on. And I I remember one time it became comical. I made a point. I said, and Jesus is Lord. And she looked at me and she said, didn't you say that just a minute ago? I said, oh, Gladys, please, just let me translate. Just let me preach. You do the translating. Well, hey, even the Cuban people knew that wasn't right. Well, I knew it wasn't going well, and I had to finish on preaching. I kept in my mind, I was thinking, Lord, I don't understand this. Surely you wanted some of these people saved, not the safest country to be in without the blessings of our government. And here you've stuck me tonight with this young 26-year-old who's doing the best she can to translate, but it's not working. And God, I just don't understand that. Surely you didn't bring us down here for it to all fall apart like this. And though I continued to preach, for those of you who may be English teachers, though I continued to preach, this is what I was thinking in my mind. There ain't no way anything good's going to happen in this service tonight. This is a joke. This is a fiasco. Well, God humbled me and reminded me of something I already knew that night. For when the invitation was given, we had more adult men and women, 70 and 80 years of age, lying all the way across the front of that altar to give their heart to Christ that night, more than we did the other two entire weeks we were there on that particular trip. You know what God reminded me of that night? Roger, I don't need you. I was doing fine before you came along. You stand up there and tell a story you know to be true. I'll save the people. I'll break down the language barrier. Just stand up there and tell what you know to be true. And folks, what I guess I want to say to you tonight is God doesn't have to have you either. But He wants to use you if you want to be used. If it's within your heart to tell others about Jesus Christ, God will help you to do it. Just trust Him. He'll do it. Well, these four lepers could have been greedy and selfish with what they found. 
but they weren't. They made an open commitment to go share what they discovered. Now, can we come to an agreement if these four fellows, remember, everybody's starving, okay? Everybody's starving, don't have anything to eat or drink. These four fellows go out and find all this stuff that everybody back home needs. Can we come to an agreement? They would have been selfish if they just said, well, we found it and if these others find it, good for them. But I'm not telling them. But if they find it, I'm happy for them. Can we come to an agreement? They would have been selfish had they done that. But they didn't. They made an open commitment to go back and tell the other people what they discovered. You know what I found? I found the vast majority of Christians have taken step one and step two. We've asked the question, why sit we here until we die? We've made the discovery of Jesus Christ, but not near as many of us have made the commitment those four lepers made when they said, hey, we're not doing the right thing. This is a day of great news and we're holding our peace. You see, those four fellows found food, money, clothing, wealth, and jewelry. Stuff, nice stuff. I'd like to have had some of it, but that's all it was was stuff. What have you found? Has anybody in Kingsway found Jesus? Anybody at all? Why, sure you have. A whole bunch of you have. Then who made the greater discovery? Those four fellows who found food, money, clothing, wealth, and jewelry? Or you who found Jesus? Who made the greater discovery? You did. So then if those four fellows who found food, money, clothing, wealth, and jewelry said, hey, we're not doing the right thing. We know some good news and we're keeping quiet about it. What about you and what about me? What about what we've discovered? If you went out in the parking lot tonight and you found a million dollars in a bag, would you tell anybody about it? Haven't you found something worth more than a million dollars? I have much more. Several years ago, we discovered that my father had brain tumors. And the day we discovered that, we were sitting outside the Cancer Research Center there in Roanoke. And as you might imagine, when we got that news, it bothered us. And so as we sat in his car after we talked to the doctor that day, I said, Daddy, you and I heard what the doctor had to say today. If our time together is going to be short, I sure would like to know where you're going to spend eternity. Now you need to know something about my father before I finish this story. My dad was a very highly decorated soldier of World War II. Three silver stars, two purple hearts, a tank commander in Patton's army, 40 years local government, 40 years local businessman. My dad was well-known, well-respected of my hometown of Parisburg. He gave, uh, I think it was over 18 gallons of blood to the American Red Cross. It takes eight pints to make a gallon. Part of what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation to ever live, a generation well-represented inside this building here tonight. Saw my dad do a lot of good things, give money away to poor people. Saw him do a lot of good things. Don't miss what I'm about to say now a member of my home church, and, don't miss this, lost. Lost. You say, Roger, you're being judgmental. You're being hard on your father. You have no right to do that. Well, without you needing to know some things you don't need to know, I would share this with you. I remember my dad saying to one of his friends one time, he said, Clayton, you ought to join the church. It's good for business. Looks good for business. Sound like something a lost man might say? Yeah, man, looks good for business to say you got your name on a church roll somewhere. But when I shared that with him that day, he began to share some of these things that he'd done in his life. And I let him talk for a few moments. And then I stopped him and I said, Daddy, I said, listen, when, uh, when you talk about your war record, my heart swells with pride. I said, but you need to understand something. All those things that happened in Normandy, 
North Africa, Germany, hey, listen, they're great, but uh, they don't have anything to do with your salvation. He said, well, son, what is it I need to do? I want you to know it was one of the greatest days of my life when I held hands with my father, people looking inside that car saying, hey, why are those two men holding hands? Why are those two men praying? Why are those two men crying? I could have cared less. It was one of the greatest days of my life when I witnessed my father say, I repent of my sin and I trust Jesus as my Savior. I remember in revival services just like this, as a young 10 or 11-year-old boy, I'd sit on the back row with my daddy, and when they'd offer the invitation during the revival, my prayer would be, God, let my daddy go forward tonight. God, let my daddy be saved tonight. Little did I know that when I prayed that prayer as a 10 or 11-year-old boy, little did I know that the only time I would ever see my daddy walk down a church aisle, little did I know I'd be the one standing at the front to receive him. I stood and I preached his funeral. Service was over and the coffin was rolled to the back of the church and for some reason a smile broke across my face and I tapped the back of the coffin as it was rolled out the door and two words came to my mind and those two words were these words. Another day. Another day. I will see you another day. Christians, listen now. Anybody going to look you up in the kingdom of heaven and thank you because you opened your mouth and you told them about Jesus. Anybody at all in your realm of influence. You see, we need to get over this thing of saying, well, they're good people. That's my mom. That's my dad. That's my, that's my son. That's my daughter. They're good people. I know they don't have anything to do with the church, but they're good people. They'd give you the shirt off their back. And I'm glad they're good people. But listen, folks. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, Be thou good, and you shall enter the kingdom of heaven. If you find that verse, show me, and I, I won't preach this anymore, but the Bible says, Repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. And someday we're going to come to understand that heaven and hell and saved and lost are not just words. They're the greatest reality we've ever known. You see, a hundred years from now, nobody's going to care that we're driving nice automobiles out here in the parking lot. I'm driving one. Many of you are too. Nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to care that on Sunday morning we wear pretty dresses and suits. Nobody's going to care. A hundred years from now, nobody's going to care that our houses can pass the white glove test. Nobody's going to care that our lawns are well manicured and every blade of grass is just right. Nobody's going to care. Only two things are going to matter a hundred years from now about you and about me. And those things are, number one, did you make it into the kingdom of heaven? And number two, who did you take with you? That's it. Nothing else will matter. I challenge you to be a soul-winning church. One that doesn't just talk about it, teach about it, preach about it, sing about it, but one that gets after it and does it. We'll close with this illustration. Rolf Benershka was the field goal kicker for the San Diego Chargers. Rolf was not a Christian. The guy who held the ball for him as Rolf kicked field goals and extra points, this man was a Christian, and he witnessed many times to Rolf Benerska, and Rolf said, thanks, but no thanks. And then one day, Rolf Benerska contracted a disease that just about took his life, and all of a sudden, as a lot of people do, he got interested in that Jesus stuff. And once again, the guy who held the ball for him as he kicked field goals and extra points came and witnessed to him, and this time, Rolf Benerska was ready to receive Christ as Savior. And then he said something I found very interesting. He said, all those years, I thought the only thing 
that guy did was hold the ball for me while I kicked it. He said, little did I know that in his hands he held my eternal life. If you're a Christian, you hold somebody's eternal life in your hands, and so do I. Hey, why sit we here until we die? Let's go do what God's called us to do. You have what other people need. So do I. It's hypocritical of me to preach it and not do it, that's for sure. You have what other people need. They may not want it, but they need it. And that in itself is worth risking yourself that they might take what you have to offer them. You say, well, I just get scared, I get nervous. Hey, ask God to help you. Just ask God to help you. You don't have to do it perfectly. Remember what the woman at the well did? She did all she did, she didn't take a witnessing class that I know of. She just went back into town and got all those men and said, hey, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And a whole boatload of men got saved that day. If your heart's right, God will make your words count. It's okay if you mess up. God's bigger than that. We sang about that a while ago. Why sit we here until we die? Let's go do what God's called us to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love and mercy. And now in the quietness of this moment, would you stir hearts and lives. I pray there'll be people who'll come tonight and by faith they'll make a commitment to share Jesus. Christians, men and women, deacons, Sunday school teachers, choir members, people who'll make a, a bold stand tonight. Not a secret stand, but a bold, open stand to say, I'll share Christ with someone. And so I hope you'll give folks courage in a few moments to do that. God, have your way during this invitation time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Here comes the invitation. In a moment, we're going to be singing wherever He leads. I will go. Serious words. Serious words. Everybody here has contact with folks who don't know Christ as Savior. Everybody. I do too. The first part of the invitation tonight is are there some Christians who will make an open commitment tonight to say I will tell one person about Jesus outside the four walls of the church. I'm not asking you to tell 10 or 50. I'm not asking you to do that. I'm asking you to just make a commitment to share Christ with one outside the walls of the church. You see, if we all went out tomorrow and we witnessed, and everybody on this side witnessed, and they came back, and everybody over here got turned down. Everybody got turned down. Everybody over here went out and witnessed, and they all got turned down except three people. So out of the entire church, we came back, and there were three people who said, hey, we got a positive response. We had folks who trusted Jesus, and here they are. Would it have still been worth it to have gone? Your job is not to be successful. Your job is to be faithful. Let God do the saving. You just share the good news and give them a chance. So I want to know, are there some Christians tonight who will make a commitment to share Christ openly and publicly?
here tonight. And if so, I, I want you to come and make that commitment with your pastor tonight. Now, if you don't willing to do it, that's fine. You don't have to do that. You wouldn't want to come if you weren't serious about it. That'd be hypocritical. But if you're really interested in sharing Jesus with someone, I want you to come and make that commitment. But if you make that commitment, I want to make you aware of something. What I want to make you aware of is this. God will open that door. And He may open it for you a lot sooner than you thought.
me. Mm-hmm. 